Carmichael is filling in for uh, Hiram and Neil uh, today, and uh, most of you do know him, but for the ones that are visiting, Jerry uh, was involved with Evangelize Kentucky for Lehman Avenue and several congregations that supported that. He uh, preached at Grant County for 10 years. Ten years. Uh, he just, uh, he's a very young man. Uh, <laughs> Just uh, still in his 60s there. Knows the Bible well. And uh, I was telling someone, uh, there's a few people that I know that can uh, take the Bible and uh, just ordinary stuff and make a sermon out of it and make it apply to our lives. And Jerry's one of these guys that can take a bushel of corn in the Bible and put together a lesson that uh, will stick with you. So without any more uh, comments, Jerry. Thank you, Russ. Good morning. You probably won't have trouble hearing me. I'm loud and I'm deaf. And so those two combined make for volume, plenty of volume. Turn to John chapter 9 for our Bible class. Oh, I see it. I love you people. I love this church. I'm excited about your future. I drove by your new building site, and uh, I can't wait to worship with you in that place as well. It was 18 years ago that I was here and left to go to northern Kentucky to start a congregation and lived there 10 years, and I've lived in Mount Sterling, Kentucky, my hometown, since 2016. And... Uh, my wife, Jean, would be with me, but she had something else she had to do. She's retired, and she does travel with me. I travel by myself for years, and I don't like to travel by myself. But she couldn't come this time, and she said send you. she wanted to send her love to you. John chapter 9 and verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How are your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went, I washed, and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I do not know. Isn't this an interesting thing? Now, I want you to put your thumb, finger, over that big black nine at the very beginning of chapter nine. Just cover that thing up. And go back to chapter eight and verse 59. And tie these two together and it'll give you an interesting picture. They took up stones to throw at him, 
But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And as he passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Had you ever noticed that? He was escaping a stoning and stopped to help somebody. I want to tell you something. If I'm escaping a stoning, you better get out of my way. He was escaping a stoning and saw a man that needed his help and stopped and helped him. And what an interesting thing it is. It's noteworthy that on every occasion when Jesus made a claim to be divine, he backed it up with uh, a miracle, with a, a miracle similar to the claim. In John 6, when he said, I'm the bread of life, he fed 5,000 people with bread and fish. John 6, 35. In John 11, in verse 25, he said, I am the resurrection and life, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, here he says in verse 5, I am the light of the world, and then he gives sight to a man who has never seen light. All of those things work together to prove that he is who he said he was. And so we want to learn some lessons this morning from this miracle. Jesus heals a man born blind. And there are some interesting observations. There are some interesting lessons. And maybe you've never studied this or for a while. Maybe you haven't seen some of the things that uh, uh, we will point out. Perhaps you have. First of all, I want to notice three statements of fact, three facts about this miracle. The first thing is Jesus saw this man. As he passed by, he saw a man from, who was blind from birth. He saw him. Would you and I have seen him? He's a beggar, remember. He's uh, probably sitting kind of off to the side. He, he might not be dressed really well. Is he one of those over whom you and I would have looked and passed on? I have to ask myself that. I don't stop for all the guys standing on the side of the road with the sign. I don't. I'm not sure when I'm supposed to and when I'm not. And I'm not sure how I'm supposed to help them. Uh, you know Edwin Jones. He was here for a while. Edwin's an old friend and mentor of mine, and I called him one day. I was in Lexington. There was a woman standing on the side of the road with a sign, and I called Edwin, and I said, what would Jesus do <laughs> in this case? Edwin is a Jesus expert, by the way. And uh, I, I said, what, what would... He said, well, uh, he laughed first that I called him out of the blue and asked him what to do in this situation, and me, a 69-year-old man. But anyway... Uh, I said, what would Jesus do? And he said, I think Jesus would stop and ask her how she got in this mess and tell her how to get out. And I said, she'll probably stone me if I do that. <laughs> and so anyway, I did help her. I gave her money. But uh, would you and I have overlooked him? He didn't just glance over him. Uh, he saw a person and not just an abstract part of the crowd. Now, I don't know if I can make this clear uh, with just words, and I don't have a picture of it. But uh, this weekend, this very weekend, in my hometown, Mount Sterling, Kentucky, the, the oldest, largest festival in Kentucky is going on. It's called October Court Days, and I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not. But if you, Mount Sterling, Kentucky is a town of 7,000 people. There's 120,000 there this weekend. 
and you can stand up on the, the northern part of Queen Street and look down and all you can see are different shapes and colors and, and uh, a mass of people. If Jesus had been seeing that, you know what he would have seen? He would have seen individuals. I tend to see the abstract. Do you? And so he saw this man as one with a physical malady that only he could reverse. He saw him as one in whom the works of God could be revealed, verse 3. He saw him as an opportunity to help and bring glory to God. Isn't it Matthew 5 and verse 16 that says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. And so he saw him. And uh, there's, a, there's a lesson in there for us. And when we start making application at the end of this lesson, uh, we will, uh, I'll point out uh, some of those things. But uh, he saw him as a potential, productive, important part of the human race. I don't always do that, do you? Sometimes I've been guilty of saying, that boy ain't gonna, never going to amount to anything. Uh, he, he's never going to be any more than what he is right now. And then I've seen him become more and better. Uh, to my surprise. And so he saw him as one who needed help that only Jesus could give. Now the lesson from that part, love values other people. Do you hear me? Love values other people. I don't always. I try. I know they're made in the image of God. I know they have eternal spirits that I need to reach with the gospel as a representative of God on earth. I know that uh, I need to teach and need to see them. Love sees the value in other people. So the first observation Jesus saw him. I'm not sure we would. We sometimes would overlook him. Uh, The next observation is the man was born blind. Now the reason I made this observation when I studied this is because people try to explain away the miracles. I run into more people now than ever before who try to explain away the miracles. I was talking to a guy the other day that said Jesus didn't really die. He just went to sleep and when they put him in that cool tomb, the coolness and dampness woke him up. And uh, uh, and that he didn't really walk on the water, that uh, he grew up around the Sea of Galilee, and he knew where there was an old pier. And the pier was gone, but the posts were still there, and so he was stepping on them posts, on those posts, uh, and uh, didn't really walk. Now, there are people trying to explain these things away. Well, let me just tell you what happened here. The man was born blind. The Greek word, uh, the Greek in, the, in that particular thing is anthropon ek, Janethes Tuflon, born without sight. He didn't have cataracts. He wasn't nearsighted. He wasn't farsighted. Uh, He didn't have blurred vision. He could not even see the man who put the the, uh, clay on his eyes to see. He was stone blind, as Jerry Clower would say. Blindness in Jesus' day was common usually permanent and incurable. It would have been impossible for him to find gainful employment. 
It would, he would have to rely, as he was, upon begging or the generosity of others. And uh, he, would, uh, he would have been led or carried from one place to another. You remember in Luke 16 that uh, rich man and Lazarus? Uh, you remember what, he, what was said about Lazarus? He had to be carried to the gate. And I didn't say he was blind, but he, he was incapacitated to the point that uh, he couldn't move on his own. And this fellow would have had to been led from one place to another. Uh, Paul, you remember, suffered temporary blindness on the road to Damascus, Acts 9 and verse 8, had to be led by the hand into the city. And so you can't explain this away in, as the Pharisees and the scribes tried to do in our text uh, later on, but uh, he was born blind. He had never seen, imagine that, never seen a sunrise, never seen a flower. He could smell it and feel it, but, but never had never seen it. A third observation I want to make is the man was completely healed of blindness. Now, the brevity of the Bible, does the brevity of the way the Bible explains things, it just gets to the point and gives you everything you need to know about it in a brief statement. Does that not amaze you? You and I can't write like that. I can't tell a story like that. Man, if I was to tell you about this man who had been blind from birth and a man named Jesus made clay and put it in his eyes, I'd be talking for two hours. I could write a volume or volumes about it. What did the Bible say? He went, he washed, verse 7. He went, he washed, he came back seeing. Completely healed. Do you need to know anything more than that? No. I would have told you what color clothes he had on, how far it was to where he had to walk, what kind of water it was, uh, what the people said about him on his way back, and, and you know how we do. The Bible told you everything you need to know. He went, he washed, he saw. It was genuine. It was affirmed. The fact that he was completely healed of blindness was affirmed, wasn't it? In verse 25, it was affirmed by the man itself. Um, he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know for sure, though I was blind, now I see. His parents affirmed. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. His neighbors affirmed it in verse 8. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? They saw that he could see. The Pharisees even affirmed it by asking him, How did you get your sight? They know he can see. In verse 15 and verse 10, they saw clearly that his eyes were open and he could now see. No surgery. This is important. No cornea transplant. No glasses, no cataract removal, no contact lenses, grace, spit, dirt, and obedience is what healed that man. Grace, dirt, spit, and obedience. My little 10-year-old grandson loves the dust and the spit part. They like that. That's all it was. Now, is that the normal way to heal blindness? We probably have some eye doctors, optometrists or whatever in here. We've got two or three of them in our congregation at home. 
Not the way to heal blindness. The way that Joshua and the children of Israel made the wall of Jericho fall down is not the way to make a wall fall down either, is it? You don't walk around the wall one time for six days, one time a day, and then seven times on the seventh day and shout and blow trumpets and the wall fall down. That doesn't work. So what's the explanation? God did it. God did it. How did this man see? Was it just grace? Dust? Spit? And obedience? God did it. God did it. And you and I can learn great lessons from that. Well, uh, let us move on. Three uh, statements of fact and then three questions that we want to explore in this miracle. First of all, very interesting question asked by the apostles. Um, who sinned? Who sinned? Have you ever fallen into that trap? A lot of people in our culture believe that bad things happen to bad people. If, you, if something bad's happening to you, it's because you did something wrong and you're being punished. Now, sometimes that's the case. If you rob a bank and you get put in jail, that's a bad thing, but, but you, that's because of your actions. But not always, is it? The apostles ask, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. Now, dissect that sentence with me for just a minute. He sinned because he was born blind. When could he have sinned? Now, you skip over to verse 34 and you see what they believe, don't you? You see what they're talking about. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sin and you are teaching us. They believed he inherited his sin of his parents, apparently. That's the only way he could have sinned in order to be blind if he was born in sin. And they said, you were completely born in sins. The Pharisees and the scribes said that. And so who sinned? What was Jesus' answer? Nobody. Nobody. Neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind. Uh, it could not have been his fault. You know, that was the problem with all four of Job's friends. You remember Job's so-called friends? You remember Job? Horrible things happened to him, but he was a good man. Here he is sitting at the dump on an ash heap, scraping scabs off of sores with pieces of broken pottery, and his friends come along and said, Boy, whatever you did, it must have been a doozy. Man, <laughs> whatever you did... You, all you have to do is repent of that horrible thing. And Job, you know, sitting here uh, frustrated, saying, tell me what it is, and I'll repent of it. Tell me what I did. I didn't do anything. And so Jesus says about this man, nobody sinned. People are born blind. People are born with physical maladies. Ever since, the, uh, ever since sin came into the world in Genesis 3, people have been born with uh, physical problems. And so... The uh, man was born blind. People are born blind. Nobody sinned. That was uh, their big question. Um, we live, by, uh, by the way, family, we live in a sin-cursed version of the perfect world. It is an amazing world, isn't it? Driving down here yesterday afternoon, I saw the amazing colors and uh, all of the beautiful scenery. And I thought, 
thank you, God, this is an amazing world, but this is not as amazing as it was before Genesis 3, is it? This is the sin-cursed version. What happens in the sin-cursed version of the uh, amazing creation of the perfect world? Uh, People get sick. Babies die of cancer. Uh, People are born blind. And so on. And so the first question is, who sinned? There are times when you Americans, listen to me. There are times when we can't find anybody to blame. I, I have some friends who are attorneys, and one of them told me, she said, she, one of our girls at Rowan Hills is an attorney, and she said, uh, I'm really getting tired of people walking in saying, I want to find somebody to sue. <laughs> you know, pe- people are looking for somebody to sue. Sometimes there's nobody to blame. It just happened. Things happen. And uh, that's what happened to this man. And Jesus said, but... It's an opportunity for me to use uh, to glorify God and to work the works of God while I'm here. The second question is, is this not the beggar? Now the only way, this is such a miracle, the only way they could explain it was, it's not him, verse 9, it's somebody that looks like him. But he put that to rest pretty quick, didn't he? He said, no, it's me. (laughs) This is me. And I was born blind. And this man put spittle and dirt on my eyes, and I can see. And so he laid that to rest pretty quickly. His parents said, we know this is our son, and he was born blind. And then the third question, how were your eyes opened? And he had to just keep telling this one. You know he probably got tired of it. The neighbors ask in verse 11. The Pharisees ask twice, verse 15 and verse 27. People are asking him, uh, how did this happen? And uh, this is the actual purpose of the whole miracle, isn't it? To show that Jesus was who he said he was and that uh, he, he could not have been healed of blindness had Jesus not done it himself. And so he says, Jesus did it. Now, they needed to know that so they could prove that he was the Messiah to get others to listen to him. John uh, 20 and verse, uh, what is it, uh, 30 and 31 says that the miracles that were chosen to be recorded, John said there was a lot of other things. There were a lot of other things that Jesus did, but these have been selected to be recorded so that you will believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. And believing, you will have life in his name. And uh, this is one of those signs, healing this man born blind, to prove that he was from God. Because the, uh, in verses 31 and 33, the religious leaders said, we know that God does not hear sinners. Or the man healed, the man healed by Jesus said. We know, they were saying, this man's a sinner. He's not from God. And he said, well, we know God would not have heard him when he asked him to heal me had he not been from God. Now, that's good reasoning, isn't it? And so uh, it also shows him as the light of the world and to produce faith in us. How were your eyes opened? Well, I did what this man called Jesus told me to do. Three observations. I don't know about time. Y'all will have to just tell me when I need to hug. 
but three observations that we'll make. First of all, this was unique. This is the only one of all the six people that Jesus healed of blindness that we have record of whom we have record in the Gospels. This is the only one that was done this way. Now there was another one where he used uh, saliva, but uh, this one he used saliva and dirt. And uh, I think there was a reason for that. And let me let me go about this uh, in this way. The Pharisees were legalists. They didn't think the law was strict enough, and so they added laws to the law to insulate the law from being violated. You know people like that, don't you? You know people who uh, are strict legalists, and uh, they, they make laws where God didn't make laws so because they're afraid of violating God's laws. Here's one silly one that I read one where, somewhere about the Pharisees. Uh, plowing on the Sabbath is obviously work and uh, forbidden. You weren't allowed to work on the Sabbath. You weren't allowed to plow. Well, they lived in dusty, arid conditions. And so if you spat on the ground in dusty, arid conditions, it would move dirt, constituting plowing, so you weren't allowed to spit on the Sabbath. Now, isn't it interesting that that's the very thing Jesus did? He spat. He might have been trying to teach them a lesson about the Sabbath. He spat on the ground and not only moved dirt, picked it up and made clay out of it and rubbed it in the guy's eyes. And they're all looking at him saying, now here's another thing. You've known this guy that's been blind his whole life. And you know he couldn't see. And all of a sudden he's seen as well as you can. What did the religious leaders, what was their reaction? You did that on the Sabbath. Really? Here's a man that's never been able to see before. And he can see. And you're worried about doing it on the Sabbath? Jesus taught him in other places, you'll do good. You can do good on the Sabbath. You can get an ox out of a ditch or go find a lost sheep on the Sabbath. You can do that. What better way to show doing good on the Sabbath than to heal this man born blind? He was born blind. And it's unique that he uh, was healed this way. This is the only time that's happened. Also, another observation is we mentioned grace, saliva, dirt, and obedience. And it was a Sabbath lesson. He taught him a lesson about the Sabbath. A man is healed of a permanent, incurable disease. And all you worried about is that he violated the Sabbath. And so, this man is a unique situation. And then the third observation, Jesus didn't charge him any money for this miracle. He didn't stay around for the accolades, which obviously would have accompanied such an act, wouldn't they? People would have been saying, oh man, you, hey, I've got a brother that needs you, you know. And they did that. Uh, but he didn't hang around when in uh, verse, uh, what is it, 12? Yeah, verse 12. Uh, when he was being questioned about it, they said, where is he? And he said, I don't know. He disappeared. Now he shows back up later. And uh, when the man's excommunicated and... Uh, uh, helps him out in that sense, but he uh, 
It was unique. It was the only one of its kind. This man born completely blind. It was uh, a miracle, unexplainable any other way. Uh, Saliva and spit don't usually cure people. And uh, Jesus didn't want the accolades from it. He didn't hang around to get personal attention. So why did he do it? If he didn't do it for personal attention, you and I do almost everything for personal attention, it seems. Look at me. I see people on Facebook sometimes. I get I get tickled at them. They say, I gave $1,000 to a charity today. Really? Do you have to tell us? You, you know? Doesn't that kind of make it null and, and void? Doesn't that kind of mess it up when you tell us that you did it? Uh my granddaddy was an old country guy, tobacco farmer up in eastern Kentucky. He had this saying. He had a lot of sayings. Some of them you can't say in church. But he, uh, <laughs> but he, he had some good ones too, though. And one of them was, and, and I want you to remember this, never bore people with tales of your own greatness. And that, that's, that's just genius, isn't it? Never bore people, because people don't want to hear how great you are. They want to know what, what's in it for them, usually. Never bore people with tales of your own greatness. Now, Jesus didn't do that, did he? Uh, I mean, he claimed to be the Son of God, but he was. Uh, he claimed to be the Messiah, but he was. <laughs> he wasn't uh, just blowing smoke. But when he do something like this, uh, several times recorded. When he would do something like this, he would just disappear, and he didn't care if they... In fact, a few places he told them, don't tell anybody who did this. It's not time to do that yet. And so he, uh, he didn't call attention to himself. Okay, let's get to the application of all this. <clears throat> First of all, let us strive to see people as people. Is it tough for you? It's tough for me sometimes. I grew up fairly poor. We, we, not poor, poor, but we didn't have a lot of extras. We had food and, and shelter and all the stuff we needed. But uh, uh, sometimes I did feel that growing up as if people were looking over me because of my situation. <laughs> people sometimes try to outpour one another you know they, they start talking man I grew up I had holes in my shoes you had shoes you know <laughs> that kind of thing I'm not going to do that but uh, uh, sometimes our station in life causes us to overlook or we allow it to, to cause us to overlook and so you have this really comfortable middle class or upper middle class uh, upbringing you might not you might tend to not look at people like this guy. And so the lesson here is what we need to practice on is seeing people as people. Now, why is that important? Souls that need saving, that's why it's important. You see them as souls that need saving. And uh, fellow pilgrims on the journey through life, abstract painting and colorful dots, no. Each one of those is made in the image of God. Each one of those is a soul that needs saving. Are you going to get them all? Boy, I wish I could. It's been my life's work (laughs) trying to get them all. Uh, And and it'll wear you out. 
one of my teachers, Brother Bill Nix, Harold's cousin, I think, uh, Brother Bill Nix called me off to the side one day, and he told me two things. He was trying to teach me to be a preacher, and I was young and and energetic and hot-headed sometimes and all that. And uh, one day he called me off to the side, and he said, uh, and what I was doing is I was preaching, and I was enjoying telling people how horrible they were. You know how young preachers get, you're all going to go to hell and, and, you know, and all that. And uh, uh, he called me off to the side one day and he said, won't you let them go to heaven every now and then? I said, okay. And so since that time, I've been way more positive than I was then. And uh, uh, the other thing was, he said, you can't save everybody by Tuesday. Pace yourself. I heard Brother Nix preach one time when he was 86 years old. I'd known him for years. He was my mentor. He was one of my teachers. And I, I, he was 86 years old, and he stood in the pulpit and preached for a solid hour and didn't use any notes, didn't miss a scripture, all of that. And he sat down, and I said, Bill, how do you do that? And he said, I paced myself. He said, I don't try to do everything at once. He said, that's the culmination of years of work. And so... Don't try to save them all by Tuesday, but by Tuesday, but try to save them all, because every single one of them is of the utmost importance. Am I supposed to quit at quarter after? Is that about right? Okay. Huh? I'll get a bail. Okay. I hate to do that in the middle of a class, but I, I don't know how to pace my lesson if I don't know when I got to quit. All right. Physical maladies are not always the result of or punishment for sins committed. Granted, they can be the result of bad choices, but not always. And so uh, don't automatically assume that they're getting what they deserve. There's some of the sweetest people that I've ever known in this congregation who have had horrible things happen to them. And how dare us to think, well, maybe he did something. People think like that, don't they? And, you know, back to Job's friends. Oh, man, you must have done something horrible. Tell me what it is, and I'll repent of it. Now, he did, finally, <laughs> kind of break over and start shouting at God. By the way, it's okay to shout at God. He's got big shoulders. He can handle it. Uh, just be ready for the answer. Job shouted at God, I demand that you tell me what is going on here. And God said, well, what's the earth hanging on? Uh, go catch a Leviathan with a fish hook. You know, do some of those things, then I'll answer you little petty questions. Uh, Dean Roach and I, were we were students, this is a long time ago, I was a student over 40 years ago. And uh, we were students, uh, preaching students, we were supposed to have been studying Greek at my house, and we were actually watching television preachers and making fun of them. And uh, we were students, what, what can I say? And uh, this, this television preacher came on, and he said, uh, there's a woman, I see this woman out in Oregon, and she has a tumor. Well, man, I can heal people like that. Uh, she has a tumor. God, I, I'm telling you, he said this, I demand that you heal this woman right now. And Dean and I looked at each other and I said, did he say what I thought he said? He said, yeah, can't you see God saying, yes, sir, Mr. Robinson, I'll get right on it, I'm sorry. You know, you don't make demands of God. 
Bad things happen to good people, family. We live in a sin-cursed version of the perfect world. It's going to happen. What God will do is help you deal with it. So don't automatically think, Bob lost his wife and now he's been diagnosed with cancer and he's about to lose everything he's worked for all of his life and there's some sort of glitch in his income tax and he's going to owe a whole bunch of money and his kids are all crazy and out in the world and on drugs and boy, Bob must have been a horrible person. Really? Maybe not. Maybe life happened to Bob. Maybe it's through no fault of his own. Who sinned, this man or his parents? I love Jesus' answer. No. (laughs) No. Nobody sinned. People are born blind. Babies have cancer. It happens. The third point of application. He obeyed Jesus. Yeah. He obeyed Jesus and left the details up to God. People ask how a lot, don't they? There's nothing wrong with asking why and how. But sometimes there's just the answer is God did it. I have a young lady with whom I'm studying right now that's uh, very involved with uh, angelology. She, she thinks angels are everywhere, and, and they might be. I don't know. I don't see them. But, uh, or don't know I see them. Uh, but, you know, she's saying, now, did God use an angel for that? Or did God use, do you have a guardian angel? Did he do that? And this, and I said, I'll tell you what, here's how we're going to handle this. Let's just say God did it. If he used an angel to do it, fine. If he used a miracle to do it, fine. Whatever he uses, that's all going on on the other side of the veil, and I can't see it. And so, let's just say God did it. You know that passage in Romans 8 that talks about the Holy Spirit interpreting your prayers for God when you can't figure out what to say? Uh, how's that happen, preacher? I don't know. It's on the other side. I'm not privy to that information. I, I don't have access to that information, but I know it happens. And so this man, this man who was healed said, let's just leave the details up to God. I did what he said, and I'm healed, and I'm cured, and it's over with. Then, it's possible to be born spiritually blind. In uh, Matthew 11, in verse 4, John wondered about, was Jesus uh, who he said he was? And he was told... Uh, Go back and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. Blind people are seeing and lame people are walking. Uh, Lepers are being cured. And all these wonderful things are happening because of Jesus. The dead are raised. And the poor hear the gospel. And blessed is he who is not offended by these things. You see, family, it's possible to be born spiritually blind. The Pharisees were. 
In Matthew 23 and verse 24, Jesus called them blind guides who uh, strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. They couldn't see that he was from God. Now, what are some of the examples of spiritual blindness for you and me? Well, walking through life with no goal or purpose. We were put here to fear God and keep his commandments. Isn't that what Solomon said? Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Why? Because it's going to be called into judgment someday. Is that the end? Five minutes? Okay, I can do this in five minutes. I can do it in three minutes. I can name that tune in three minutes. Walking through life with no goal or purpose is spiritual blindness. Leaving the church and going back into the world is spiritual blindness. Sight has responsibilities. Could you, let's just think about that brother that used to sit on the bench with you that's not here anymore. He left. He got his feelings hurt or whatever. Now, put him in the place of this man born blind who was healed and think about this man. He, he sees light for the first time. He sees people for the first time. Could you imagine him saying, man, this uh, sight business comes with responsibility. I'm going to have to get a job now. I'm going to have to be responsible for myself. Would you just make me blind again? Could you imagine that? No. But that's what happens when you leave the church and go back into the world. You left the miracle of spiritual sight to go back and be blind. Well, you and I have the commission of putting saliva and clay on the, world, on the eyes of the spiritually blind world. That's our job. Not always pleasant, not always easy, not always done. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. I appreciate your attention. I'm excited to get to be with you.